Lessons were over for the day, and the boys at Red Bank School came running with shouts and whoops of joy into the playing fields. They were like young colts freed from restraint for a few hours and eager to make the most of their liberty. Red Bank was the home of brilliant cricketers and all-round athletes. Many a noted cricketer had received his first lessons in the great game on Red Bank cricket ground. The lads were proud of the men who played in the All-England eleven, and who were never slow to acknowledge that to Red Bank they owed what prowess they possessed. The Red Bank lads were born runners, so many an old hand training them for races vowed. Something in the atmosphere of Red Bank seemed to make the lads athletic. Perhaps the traditions attached to the school had much to do with this, for lads are very proud, and justly so, of the feats of scholars who have preceded them. But Red Bank was not merely a training ground for famous athletes. Red Bank scholars had taken high honors at the universities and afterwards distinguished themselves in various walks of life. The Bishop of Flaxham was proud of the fact that he was grounded at Red Bank. He was an eloquent and distinguished man, an ornament to the church, and a brilliant writer of readable books. When the Bishop of Flaxham came to Red Bank and preached in the chapel, the lads with difficulty restrained themselves from giving him a hearty cheer at the end of his address. The bishop knew how to talk to boys, and never forgot that at one period of his life he had been bored with wearisome sermons about the world, the flesh, and the devil, which he did not in the least understand. So he took warning, and told the lads to run the race set before them much in the same manner as they would a hundred-yard sprint, each striving to win the prize and do the distance in even time. The bishop believed that well-trained muscles and a healthy body were conducive to an active and moral state of mind. The Red Bank lads gloried in the fact that the Bishop of Flaxham had been one of themselves. Field Marshal Lord Kingcraft was a Red Bank boy, and his warlike deeds and bravery were celebrated in song on the fly leaves of school books and occasionally on the panels of doors and the insides of desks. Lord Kingcraft's won the great VC, May Red Bank do the same for me was discovered carved, evidently with much labor and pains, on the lid of a desk at which the celebrated field marshal formerly worried his brains over Euclid and algebra. This inscription was pointed out to the brave leader of men when he visited his old school, and he never forgot it. He hoped, from the bottom of his heart, the lad who carved it would one day win his VC. Redbank was represented in the Navy and in the diplomatic world and one day it was hoped a Red Bank lad would become Prime Minister. So, with all these successful public men constantly before them as an example, the lads of Red Bank felt bound to endeavor to do great deeds and win renown for themselves and their school. The headmaster of Red Bank was the Reverend Henry Hook, and it was universally acknowledged that no more suitable man could have been selected. He ruled his lads with a firm hand, but he was no tyrant or hard taskmaster. The boys knew he meant what he said, and that his word to them could be implicitly relied upon. He had confidence in his boys, and they returned it. When Edgar Foster came to Red Bank School he was sixteen, small for his age, but muscular and active. At this time there were between two and three hundred scholars at Red Bank, 
and naturally out of such a number there were several lads whose absence would not have been regretted. Young Edgar Foster soon became popular. For one thing, his father was a well-known man, who had worthily upheld the honor of Redbank in the cricket field, and had captained the All-England eleven. This was quite sufficient to give Edgar a standing in the school. Bullies exist in almost every walk of life, and a few of this undesirable species were to be found at Redbank. The leader of these bullies was a lad named Raymond Rakes Bully Rakes as he was generally called. He was a big, hulking fellow, powerful and strong, but deficient in courage, as bullies generally are. There was nothing manly about Bully Rakes, and the boys knew it. So far he had held his own, for he was the biggest boy in the school. Any new scholar he at once endeavored to inspire with awe, and generally succeeded. Our story commences about a week after Edgar Foster's arrival at Redbank. The boys were bounding out of school and soon spread over the fields in groups, the bulk of them, however, went towards the cricketing nets. Edgar Foster had not had any opportunity of showing what he could do with the bat. He was a lad who did not push himself forward, but quietly bided his time, knowing full well that when that time came he would not be found wanting. The boy is father to the man, and it will be gathered from this story of a lad of metal that Edgar Foster acted in this wise during many trying periods of his afterlife. Edgar watched the practice with keen and critical eyes. His father had taught him how to handle a bat as only a skillful player can. Here, Foster, take a turn, said the lad who had just finished batting. We've not had the chance of seeing how you shape yet. I'm ready, said Edgar, pulling off his coat and eagerly holding out a hand for the bat. It's my turn, said Bully Rakes. Just you drop that bat, or I'll make you. Edgar Foster looked up at the big fellow standing before him, but he did not flinch, nor did he drop the bat. The boys crowded round, anticipating a row, and anxious to see how the newcomer would shape with rakes. If it is your turn, said Edgar quietly, I will give you the bat. If it is not your turn, under no circumstances will I drop the bat. The tones were firm, there was no flinching, and the lad looked determined. Bully Rakes was not accustomed to be addressed in this manner. He eyed Edgar scornfully and said, I shall have to teach you manners. I am the best judge of whose turn it is. Will you drop that bat? Edgar turned to the lad who had handed him the bat and said, Do you bat in turns? Has Rakes any right to bat before me? Courage is infectious. Will Brown had never defied Rakes before but he felt he must back up his plucky schoolmate. Rakes has no right to bat here at all, he replied. He's been batting at the other net and has just finished his turn. Edgar Foster made no further remark, but walked coolly to the wicket. This defiance of his demands gave Bully Rakes a shock. He knew if he allowed Foster to bat his hold over the boys would be gone. He strode up to Edgar and said savagely, Give me the bat, or I'll thrash you. Had you asked me politely at first, I should probably have handed you the bat, said Edgar. I shall not do so now. As for thrashing me well, that has to be decided.
Bravo, Foster, shouted several lads. Punch his head, rakes, said one of the bullies' toadies. Give me that bat, or fight me, shouted rakes in a passion. Shame, shouted the lads. Rakes was much taller and more powerfully built than Edgar. Edgar Foster handed the bat to Will Brown and said, Come on, I'm ready. Bully Rakes had his coat off, and the boys, seeing a fight about to take place, formed a ring. They would have given much to see Bully Rakes get a severe thrashing. Now they were in a fighting attitude the disparity between the lads was more apparent. Edgar was lightly built, but active, and evidently in good condition. Bully Rakes was massive, heavy, and ponderous in his movements. The boys were determined to see fair play, and gave Edgar every encouragement. As usual, when he had to fight, Bully Rakes rushed in at close quarters, and tried to overwhelm his smaller opponent by the force of his onslaught. Edgar, however, was ready for him. He knew how to box better than most lads of his age. His father had taught him, impressing upon him that because he knew how to use his fists he ought not to pick quarrels. Seeing Bully Rakes rush at him, Edgar sprang nimbly to one side. The bigger lad stumbled forward and almost fell. Thus foiled at the first attempt, Rakes lost his temper. He heard the lads jeering at him and he determined he would make Edgar suffer for the humiliation. Recovering himself, Rakes glared at Edgar, and then aimed a terrific blow at his ribs. Quick as lightning shot out Edgar's left and caught Rakes on the ear. It was a stinging blow, and the bully did not take punishment well. Rakes again rushed at Edgar, and, closing with him, kicked him severely on the shin. It was a despicable act, and several lads pulled Rakes back, others shouting coward, and foul play. Hands off, shouted Rakes. You'd better not interfere with me. Leave him to Foster, said Will Brown, he'll settle him. A roar of laughter followed this remark, and made Bully Rakes furious. Stand up and fight fair, said Edgar. Who taught you to kick? We're not playing football. The boys were delighted. Here was young Foster taking it out of bully Rakes and chaffing him unmercifully. Rakes again commenced the attack, but with more caution. He was not a match for his young opponent when it came to science. He managed to land a blow on Edgar's right eye, but the return he received fairly between his own eyes staggered him. Edgar followed up his advantage and soon had the satisfaction of seeing Bully Rakes measure his length on the grass.